And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So here we are in the middle of the holiday season. And by holiday, I mean Halloween. So we've already had a couple of episodes that'll get you into the mood. But this one, if you're not already there, this one is going to do it. So as promised, when I spoke with Kurt Kirsteiner about Chick Tracks, uh, you know, way back in May, I said he's going to be on for my Halloween episode to talk about his haunted house, uh, his trade, his monster-themed trading card company, and old-time horror radio, and that's exactly what we're going to do today, and he sent me down a rabbit hole that I don't think I'm ever going to get out of, and that's okay. Uh, I'm not claustrophobic, so I'll be fine down here, Uh, but I'm hopefully going to send you guys down that rabbit hole, Uh, so let's get into this uh, with one of my favorite guests, the horror master himself, Kurt Kirsteiner. Kurt, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, Well, first of all, I have to tell you, Kurt, I mean, it is fantastic to have you back on the show. I mean, it's a pleasure to be back. It's great. And here, I'm going to tell you something. You have set a record. Okay, you don't know this, but you are the quickest turnaround that I've had to join uh, the two timers club. So you're an official (laughs) member of the Fascinating Nouns two timers club. And I'm putting together some new merch. So maybe you'll see, you know, a little something coming your way if I can get this thing in order before Christmas, maybe. How's that well, sound? I'll, Exciting? I'll wear that badge with honor. <laughs> well, I had to get you back on the show for Halloween because I don't think there is anyone. I'm trying to go back through my list. Uh, I don't think there's anyone I know who is more dedicated to horror Halloween and just the general spooky season as you. You know, uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone as dedicated as you are. Well, I've always been a fan of Halloween. And even as a kid, we were doing little haunted houses in the basement. So is that uh, right? I, yeah, the, the die was cast at an early age. <laughs> well, so wait, so tell me about that. So in your basement, like, what did you put together? What were you doing? Well, uh, we would get the infamous refrigerator boxes and line them up end to end and mm-hmm. build these little tunnels that you would yeah. have to go through. And then you would pass these scenes as you were going through uh, various intersections. Yeah. And, you know, they could be skeletons and, you know, cemetery scenes. And, of course, <laughs> the infamous stick your arm here and you'd have to reach in and uh, feel the bowl of spaghetti and stuff like that or the yeah. peeled grapes. The what? eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. yeah. Magus or eyeballs, which is it? So uh, we had a lot of fun with that. Even as I grew up, you'd still have all the memorabilia painted on the walls of the basement. You know, so my parents were not very psyched about that because we used spray paint. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Oh, yeah. wow. You know, it's funny. Those I remember those refrigerator boxes in the neighborhood. Those were really coveted because I remember just being, you know, I'm trying to think of how old I was, but I had to been like six, seven. And you would put them like end to end and create like little houses, you know. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, you're like, oh, this is cool. You got you can like kind of hang out. It's like a tent almost. You can put like, you know, just it's like your own little fort. And then like, holy cow, this is small. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kids love building forts. And that's what you're doing. (laughs) I sure do. Uh, You know, so uh, you Kurt Kirsteiner is your given name, which is a pretty cool name. I mean, that's like got Marvel Comics written all over it. Uh, But I was watching this review of Monster Wax, your trading card company, which we'll get to in a second. And the guy on there called you Kurt Kurdster. And (laughs) that's that's actually a pretty cool nickname, too. I mean, how do you feel about that? Is it cool if I call you the Kurdster? Oh, I I. I when I was at work, I would get these. I, at one point, I was the uh, um, PSA director at the uh, WHCM in Harrisburg, and I would get all sorts of public service announcements addressed to Kurt Kernsteiner, Kirsten Steiner, <laughs> and I got so many di- variations of that name. I started to collect them, and I stopped at around fifty. You know, so it, it's it's a name that's just rife for butchering. Yeah. Well, th- there was this uh, there was this wrestler named that they were the Steiner brothers. So, uh, but they had a move called the Frankensteiner, and I imagine 
you know, that's a pretty cool oh, yeah. use of the Steiner name. I imagine you probably had I definitely got called that in school and, you know, all, all sorts of uh, bad nicknames it could be, uh, you know, stitched on to Steiner. And of course, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to I won't mess with your name too much. I had a previous guest who was not too happy when I, when I kind of goofed on his name. So we'll, we'll keep it light. I don't want to tear open any old middle school wounds on you. Was here. that the guy that did the Alaska um, uh, films, uh, the no. old archives? No, 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 it wasn't him. Well, you know, I actually attribute the taunting and teasing at grade school Mm -hmm. about my name or, you know, whatever else uh, as being uh, a positive influence because what it did is it made you like, you know, you have to fight back or else you're just going to get more of it, right? That's right. So the way that I fought back was that I would come up with even more egregious names for them and (laughs) jokes and, you know, if they would tease me, I would tease them back. And mm-hmm. it usually involves sarcasm and, and wit. And over the course of time, it, it really kind of uh, helps your repartee, you know, with uh, whoever you're you're talking with. Well, you're getting reps in, you know, yeah, you're getting exactly. those comedy reps in, too, which is good. Mm-hmm. You have to. You know, you got to have a thick skin. It took me a while to get one, believe it or not. Um, but let's not go into my traumatic childhood, Kurt. Let's keep it. Let's keep it light here. Uh, and by light, you know, I was reading when I was reading your um, your book on old time radio. And oh, I did not write down the name of the book. It is called The Old Time Radio History of Horror or. Uh, yeah, basically, because it, it also includes science fiction. Yes, right. But, uh, uh, horror. A lot of the science fiction had horror themes in them. So yeah, definitely that pretty good. Yeah. So in that book, there's in your little bio, uh, it says you were a free diver. Yeah. Is that is that true? Well, that's because in the Bahamas, if you want to, and that's where uh, my family has some uh, property, and we like to go visit on in, at Christmas time. You don't want to go during the summertime, but if you want to eat what you catch. If you want to catch it legally, you can't have scuba gear. So if you want to have a lobster or a stone crab or something like that, you need to go down basically snorkeling and hold your breath with a what they call a Hawaiian sling, which isn't a spear gun, but it works like a spear gun. You just have to use your muscles as opposed to, you know, something. It's basically a spear with a slingshot in it. And okay. you fire this thing and capture your uh, your your lobster and the lobsters down there don't have claws, but that's the only way you, you can keep it. Yeah, I was swimming in college and uh, it wasn't that hard. So I definitely enjoyed that and I still enjoy it. I think I think I know the guns you're talking about. I saw it on an episode of Survivor once. Um, uh-huh. I think they yeah, I know. It's, so those are pretty tricky to use. Now, free diving to me, I mean, that is the ultimate in claustrophobia. I mean, if you want to build a haunted house for me, put me underwater and make me swim through it. That's, you know, I'm not super into that. Well, we have a device called the claustrophobia tunnel, which mm-hmm. is basically this 20 foot long bladder on both sides of the wall. And it oh, fills yeah. up with air mm-hmm. and the person has to push their way through it. And I, I always those. thought like, I don't get what's so scary about this. But apparently a lot of people like, oh, no, I, I'm going around this. Show me where the wheelchair <laughs> is. Yeah, it's so. pretty brutal. Well, so you mentioned. So let's talk about the Terra Tallahassee first. So this is your haunted house down there in uh, in Tallahassee, Florida. And so uh, also in, in your book, it, I, I read that you grew up in an old plantation house. Is this right? Well, I only had that experience for one year. What okay. happened was in 1972, mm-hmm. uh, my father was a music dean at FSU, okay. and he put himself on a sabbatical for a year because he had basically reached that age where you had to retire. So, you know, why not do your uh, research or whatever in a foreign country? We went over to Ireland, which is a, a country that speaks English, so the kids are able to fit in pretty easily. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful experience and everything, but unfortunately... He passed away. He was over 70 years of age. He lived a, a wonderful life. And from his perspective, it was it was a, a great time to pass away because you're having the time of your life, you know, as sure. opposed to dying at work or whatever. Uh, but for us, it created a lot of problems because sure, you, know, you have to get the body back to the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And also there was the issue about what do we, where do we live? Because we had rented our house out for an entire year and we weren't going to kick the people out. Right. When my grandmother had an old plantation house. Uh, not too far away. And it was on like 14 acres and, you know, uh, uh, live oaks with uh, Spanish moss growing off of it and this old plantation house with the columns and everything. And I had to live up at the top of the spiral staircase, basically in a room by myself. And it was creepy. It really was creepy. Yeah. And uh, it's a perfect place to listen to old time radio shows. And that's kind of where I got started on that. 
Yeah, I mean, the way you're describing it, I mean, it's the perfect setting. Well, it's the perfect setting, I think, if you're a grown-up. If you're a child, I imagine that might be traumatizing. I don't know if I could handle listening to some of those radio shows in, like, the perfect environment. Well, this was the 1970s, remember? Yeah. And uh, they weren't Scary really time. playing old time. Right. They weren't playing old time radio shows, but they did have a series called the CBS Mystery Theater, mm -hmm. which came on at 10 o'clock. And that was hosted by Hyman Brown. Mm -hmm. And he it was directed by the same fellow who did Inner Sanctum Mysteries back in the 1940s. So it okay. had a, a, a strong horror supernatural theme or at least a, a murder type theme. Mm -hmm. And uh for me, the hard part was staying awake until 10 o'clock because, okay. you know, I, I was supposed to go to bed at nine o'clock and my mother, I couldn't even tell I was listening to the show because that would be staying up till 11 o'clock. Right. So I would, I had to be in bed and the lights had to be out and I would go to sleep in air quotes, mm -hmm. holding a book over my head so that if I <laughs> fell asleep, the book would hit my face and wake me up. But the moment Smart. the show started then I would stay wide awake because the show was so engrossing. Right. So it was just that, that one hour of uh, uh, book holding that was difficult. I still have a stronger right arm than a left arm. So. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So, so let's talk about, you know, I mean, that seems like the perfect place to, uh, you know, foster this, uh, you know, this need to build a haunted house. I mean, I don't know if the, your house sounds creepy. I don't know if it was haunted. But this somehow, you know, with all the stuff you're building in the basement, uh, other houses, is that kind of what made you want to build haunted houses professionally? Because I can't think of any other reason because they seem pretty difficult to, to pull together. Well, I did do the uh, the haunted houses in the basement before 1973. Okay. So that was, right. I say, you know, kids, six-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, that sort of thing. Sure. But um, I think a big influence on actually opening a haunted house was working in Harrisburg. Florida didn't really have very much of the way of haunted houses. And mm -hmm. I mean, we celebrated Halloween as far as trick-or-treating was concerned, but we never yeah. had haunted houses in Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. And I'm unaware of them being popular anywhere south in South Florida. However, in Harrisburg, they had a whole lot of them. Mm. And uh, and I went to them and thought, you know, these are great. But I had been to film school. That's how I got the job at the, uh, the, the TV station. Right. And, um, you know, I realized that there was a lot of uh, technical – uh, tricks that could be done that mm -hmm. weren't being utilized and right. a lot of lighting and, you know, it could just be much more effective. There's old theater tricks like uh, Pepper's Ghost Illusions and stuff like that that would be dynamite in these types of uh, settings, but they weren't being utilized. So when I came back to Tallahassee, I thought what we really need is a haunted house. Yeah. And I put one together and a lot of people came. We weren't charging very much for it, yeah. but it was a always a lot of fun. And the other nice thing about it is it's a seasonal business. So you throw yourself into it for two to three months out of the year, but you still have the flexibility of the other nine months or eight months to do other businesses and other things. So it worked out real well. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like it's such a, I mean, it's a pretty big undertaking, right? I oh, mean, yeah. How, so how many people do you have, you know, on staff? I mean, is it, do you have to find new people every year? Is it, I mean, that seems like daunting for me. But we do have a lot of uh, carryovers. Uh, the college kids who come here for four years and then move on, mm -hmm. they're gone, you know. Yeah. But uh, the ones who end up staying in Tallahassee, and quite a few of them do, they usually end up staying with us. So we have people who've been with us since 2004 and 2008. We've been doing this 25 years. This is our 25th year. So it's uh, astounding to think so much time has passed. But, um, you know, it's also very gratifying to know that not only does the audience uh, appreciate and continue to grow, but that we keep making all these friends that we've had during all this time. And a lot of them stay in touch through Facebook and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's so I, I love this idea. You know, I would love to be a part of a haunted house. I don't know if I could run it now. Uh, so with this haunted house, you said it's the 25th year when I was going through the first year was 1999, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that make this the 24th year? No, because you're you're not counting the zero. Uh, the, oh, is the that what it is? That yeah, sounds right. That sounds like is me. One year, and then year two thousand is another year. Got it. So okay. <laughs> no, I had that same problem. <laughs> counting the zero. Uh, so That's exactly what I, happened. I hey, hey, the best people make that mistake. Diamond yeah. Distribution that uh -huh. deals with uh, 
uh, comics and trading cards. Sure do. I once got an invoice saying, you shorted us a, a card set. And I go, no, I didn't. And it said, yeah, you know, and they weren't counting the zero. So <laughs> you know, even the professionals make that mistake. They sure do. Of course, that benefits them if they don't uh, <laughs> count that. Yeah. yeah. Mine's just a small accounting error that can be qu- quickly corrected. But that's, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so 25 years is a long time. Now, this... Um, I, I, two questions here, because you sent me this uh, documentary called Welcome to Sunland, where you play a prominent role. Uh, I can't help but think that that somehow influenced uh, your desire to send it to me. But this is a pretty interesting documentary about uh, an old I think it was um, it was an old tuberculosis hospital that I think eventually switched to helping the mentally disabled. But one of these, you know, there's lots of this country's littered with these types of hospitals that all kind of went through the same weird transition between tuberculosis to helping, you know, people with mental disabilities becoming a psychiatric hospital. And all of them hmm. seem to have ended the same way, which is, you know, in tragic terror, trauma and, you know, eventually ghosts, allegedly. Uh, so this was one of them. This is was this close by to this inspire you at all? Or is this just one of those random occurrences, you know, that well, it, was, it was always in the background growing up. Uh, that mm-hmm. was the thing that we talked about at school, yeah. especially around Halloween time. And it just seems so mysterious and so horrifying, you know, as a kid, because when you said it was a mental hospital, what you left out was that it was a mental hospital for children. OK. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, for mentally disabled children, uh, they what we used to call retarded children, but mm-hmm. you know that's a euphemism that uh, we no longer use. But at that time, it's like, what could be more horrifying? First, to be mentally disabled, and secondly, to be sent to this institution, mm-hmm. you know, where you, you're you're not with your parents or people who love you, yeah. and you know, I mean, to people have who to, care about you. I mean, they don't even care about you. Yeah, you're just a number. So it was just the ultimate horror story for kids to talk about. And then to add to that layer, this place is closed, but it's still open in a haunted sense. And it's still frequented by all these these ghosts. And that building still stands. And if you really have a lot of steel nerves and are stupid enough, you're going to (laughs) go visit it at night sometime. And people did do it. And the other aspect that we didn't know at the time, but it was literally a life or death threat because the place was shut down because of asbestos. So there was asbestos all through it. Yeah. So you did not, you, hopefully you didn't, if you went and visited, you didn't stay very long. (laughs) Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, every building had, you know, asbestos all Mm -hmm. over. I mean, there's even some places I live in a, in a complex in Los Angeles that's was built right after world war two. And, you know, last summer someone had to have asbestos removed from their floor and you wouldn't think that would even happen anymore. I was shocked that it, that even still existed, but 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 it, it it sure did. Uh, this is you know what else I loved about your Terra Tallahassee is that you have on on one of your websites you know just a whole historical you know archive of the previous like posters you would use to mm-hmm. um, to promote it. This was so interesting to watch the evolution. And I think you guys started out as the Mystery Playhouse, right? And this was, I think we talked about this in our other episode about Jack Chick, uh, available now. Putting, I'll put a link uh, if you're watching this on YouTube. But, you know, this was, the Mystery Playhouse was kind of like your radio show. Like it was, a, you know, was. Uh, an old-time horror radio show. And so tell me quickly how that evolved from that radio show into the Terror of Tallahassee. Well, originally, Mystery Playhouse was a punk radio show in Auburn, Alabama. Okay. Uh, I'm a little bit of a reactionary. So when I was in conservative, uptight uh, <laughs> Auburn, what could be more outrageous than a punk radio show? Sure. And uh, we had a lot of fun with that. But then I moved out to uh, go to graduate school at Stanford. And that's in California, right outside of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Well, punk radio is everywhere there. So we kept the name, but we started doing kind of the ultimate uh, reverse programming, which is old time radio shows <laughs> going back, talk about a throwback. Yeah. And But I had heard some of them again while I was out there, and it reminded me of these uh, shows that I heard uh, at the CBS Mystery Theater. And I thought, man, these are really great. How, how could people not be interested in these? Mm-hmm. And I had never even heard them before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started putting those on. And of course, we were doing our own original uh, radio shows as well. And that seemed yeah. like the perfect venue you because for me as an unpaid uh, DJ or radio producer, I couldn't really afford to do a new half hour every week, but I could do one every six weeks or every 10 weeks, but you still need to build up your audience. And if you have an old time radio series going on, 
you have your audience because it's just another radio drama when they never heard before. Right. So that went on for 300 or was it 235 episodes, I guess. It went on for many, many years. I got, I got and, 235 here, 235. Yep. That's what it would be. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, of course, there's a big history lesson in old time radio shows. Mm -hmm. And as I've mentioned to other people, they'll sometimes say, well, you're an expert in old time radio shows. I said, all being an expert in old time radio shows means is that you've heard a lot of them mm -hmm. and you remember a lot of them and you're just kind of a fan. Yeah. You know? Because it's, it's a lost art. You know, every time I walk into a bookstore, I'm always astounded. If you see the section devoted to movies and you see the section devoted to TV, it's yeah. just aisle after aisle. Yep. But then you go to an old-time radio show, which started it all off, mm -hmm. and it doesn't exist. Nothing. You'll be lucky if you find one book. Mm -hmm. And and if that if that book does exist, it doesn't really have any information that's telling you about the history. It's just talking about, you know, hey, you should listen to The Shadow or something like that. Unless it's your book, it. Kurt, of course. Yeah, exactly. Unless it's your book available now. If it's if that's the one on the shelves, people are going to get a lot of information. Oh, yeah. Well, we've had a, a lot of fun with that. And, of course— it also seems like uh, a lot of that information is transitory. If you don't mm -hmm. record it and, and publish it somewhere, it's going to be lost. And uh, once it's gone, it's gone. Like so many of the shows themselves, they just right. disappeared into the ether. So uh, you didn't tie it into the Terra Tallahassee, Kurt. So we, we got into all this. So the Mystery Playhouse kind of morphed into this because this is what's on your first beginning flyers. Yes. Well, uh, that, that this actually happened twice since we started it is that okay. what will happen is you, you rent an old building that mm -hmm. you can get at a good price and then yeah. they sell the building and you have to move. Right. And that's what happened with the first Mystery Playhouse. We lasted there for three years and then we had to move and we went over to Gain Street and that lasted for 14 years, I think. Mm -hmm. And then they sold that and they sold that building that they paid a couple hundred thousand dollars for for over two million dollars. So, oh, wow. You know, it's a good deal. You can't, yeah. you can't afford to pay the rent at that. Yeah. So uh, finally, this third time we said, OK, enough of that. We're actually buying the building so oh wow. we won't be happy to, we won't we don't have to move anymore sure <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty nice well so and i think you named it the terra tallahassee in 2003 but before that it was like bloodlines and the nightmares and you kind of had you know uh mm. and, and so even the old posters what i loved is that they have like a, they look very much like old ec comics like the old tales from the mm -hmm. crypt which is really cool i like that i'm a big fan of those obviously yeah <laughs> i would imagine so and it's also worth mentioning mm -hmm. that uh, Al Feinstein and uh, William Gaines, who were mm -hmm. the powerhouse behind EC Comics, mm -hmm. were big old-time radio fans. And yeah. that's what they based the Witch's Tale and you know the, the Crypt Keeper and all these other characters that they had were directly taken from old-time radio show. You'd have a host, and they'd introduce a story, and then they'd come back and make some morbid jokes about it or puns. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just took that formula straight on. And they took a lot of the story scripts from old-time radio, too. I mean, yeah. they've been 30 or 40 years old. So why not? Yeah. Well, there's even a couple of characters that were that seemed directly pulled, which we'll get to in a second. But one of the things that I thought was really cool that I want to connect is that, you know, you were so you have these these posters that are promoting your, you know, 25 year long history of the Terror of Tallahassee, this haunted house. But some of those artists also work for your other company, which is Monster Wax. And, you know, that is a, a, the oldest, if I, let me get this right, the oldest non-sports trading card company in the United States. Is that right? Yes, of non-sports. Uh, there are companies, the big corporations that are devoted to sports cards, and they do non-sports as just kind of a little extra when the sports season isn't running. Yeah. Uh, Tops is a great example of that. That's, they make their money off the sports. But they do do non-sports in order just to keep product flowing when, when the, uh, the seasons are closed. Right. We're the opposite way. We never do sports cards. We only do non-sports. And they tend to be Halloween-oriented or uh, monster-oriented or dinosaur-oriented or war-oriented. They, they seem to have some sort of element of excitement or, or horror or, you know, something like that. Yeah, so, they're definitely a throwback. I mean, they're mm -hmm. to that, to that, but they, they have that feel, you know, at that review, you know, the, where you famously were dubbed a Kurtster, it's, it's such a great review. I'll actually put it on the website because they break down what you deliver in your, your sets, because basically what Monster Wax is, is that you produce sets based on, let's say HP Lovecraft, and then you have, you know, 200 cards in that set and they all tell a story. Uh, or at least, you know, the ones, the Monsters and Maniacs that he was reviewing did. And what's great is that every box has every card in it. 
but they're also individually wrapped, kind of like the Topps cards or like the cards packs that I grew up with, where you'd have, you know, 20 cards in a pack for a quarter and you get a little stick of um, gum that if you break it, it turns into like a box cutter or a razor blade. Mm -hmm. It can be used to defend yourself uh, if you need to. But that's great. I mean, they're really kind of an old school style card company. Well, you definitely dated yourself when you said a quarter a pack, because that would have been like the 1980s. Uh, before that, they were only a, a dime, and then yeah. before that, they were only a nickel. Now yeah. they're like $2 a pack if you're lucky. Uh, the price has gone way up, unfortunately. To produce them has gone way up. But uh, we try to do everything from a collector standpoint. I mean, most of these things are, are hobbies that just I just got carried away with and wanted to you know, <laughs> love them so much I wanted to do it for other people. So we want from a collector standpoint, it was always very frustrating. You buy a box of cards and you have to buy like three or four more boxes just to finish the set, yeah, especially right. when they started doing chase cards. And I said, you know what? You shouldn't have to spend $200, $300 for a new set. You know, I mean, if you spend $60 for a box, you should get everything. Yeah. So in most cases, unless I've got just too many cards in that set, like we had a dinosaur galaxy series that was it was it should have been two series it should have been mm. series one and series two mm. but we crammed it all in one box that does require two boxes to get but you're getting you know two different series in those boxes and yeah. if you buy two boxes that are they're all serial numbered and if you buy two boxes back to back the second box will finish off the first box got it okay so, i mean that's i mean you know it's funny because this made me think of I was really into I did collect baseball cards a little bit I wasn't in I was more to sports when I got older surprisingly mm -hmm. enough so I wasn't I didn't collect a lot of of sports cards but what I did get into were like what were called customizable card games so your magic cards you know things like mm -hmm. that which is a, a for those who don't know it's a it's a game that you play but you you build decks and you do that by purchasing cards and you get a random pack and you get like so many rares, so many uncommon, so many common. And the more rare, the better the card is, theoretically. And I remember two, two, two very quick stories. One of my friends in high school bought a box of fifth edition magic cards and he had no good. There weren't any good cards in it. It definitely wasn't a full mm -hmm. set. And he maybe got like one or two playable cards. And hmm. then I went and went in with a card set. This is like maybe 10 or 12 years ago. I went down to downtown L.A. and I bought a box of you could buy them down there, which is actually really cool. And we went through. And again, we didn't really get that many good cards. You definitely didn't get a full set. And while those are different, it's a game. You're you're collecting it. It is collectible, but it's also, you know, functional as well. But I was annoyed with, you know, when you, when you said this and, you know, when I was reading your fair is fair guarantee uh, that. I would if you buy a box, you should at least get one of every card. I'm with you 100 percent. And I love that your company does that. Well, it, it doesn't you're not being um, a hard ass because you feel ripped off and don't want to buy that product anymore. Anybody with common sense would feel that way. Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt. Yeah. But we have this addiction for the cards. We still pull back to that. And I just don't like being manipulated like that. So, you know, that's that's why we had the different approach. <laughs> no, it's a, and it's a great approach. And, you know, what's what else is cool is in this review is, you know, not only do you have cards, but he was talking about subsets. So, you know, in this particular Monsters and Maniac, you've got all the main cards which tell the story, but then there's a character in there who draws these scary faces, and you have like a subset of those nine faces that you also get. But then also... Uh, 20, 20, 24. Oh, 24. 24 oh, sorry. Maybe it's nine foils. Maybe I think there's like a sub-subset. Yep. Uh, there are nine foils. Is that right? Okay, okay. Nine foils. And so that's two subsets and, and then a bunch of other stuff, you know, like an evidence page and like, you know, different things that really add to the experience. I did this whole episode uh, early on, another Halloween episode about the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. And what I loved is when they would give you, they also do old time radio type plays and their CD, CDs are just packed with like these little bits from that particular episode, that story that are tangible, you know, real items. Items that they've handcrafted and you have that same approach which is just a very immersive experience for anyone who's buying these things i love that i think i should start a new club called like the autistics anonymous club because <laughs> obviously hp lovecraft yeah. he must have been autistic on yeah. on the spectrum somewhere maybe yeah the, the, the degree of detail that he put into these things and the way that they overlapped one story would drop in something from another story and it all kind of came together. This is a person who spent way too much time, you know, on his stories and on his, his backstories and the way that things were merged together. But that's what makes them so fascinating and fun. Yeah. You 
with so many other authors, you read the story and you go, ah, oh, that was a great story. Mm. But you don't really want to reread it. You've read that story. Yeah. With Lovecraft, you read it once, you get a lot out of it. You read it a second time, you get even more out of it. Yeah. And you read it a third time and you read other stuff that he does and it all starts coming together. And you realize, oh, my God, yeah. this is like this giant, huge collage. Yeah. And uh, that's just to me, it's a, a thrill to see that with other writers. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to include it whenever I can. I, I'm not a H.P. Lovecraft quality writer by any stretch to the imagination. Sure. But the the more that you can put in there, the more you could stuff in there, even if it's a little uh, gimmicks and uh, prizes and stuff like that, that just adds to the fun. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, it, it's fantastic. And this, you know, I think you kind of described yourself perfectly, if I had to guess, right? I don't know you that well, <laughs> Kurt, but I think you described yourself per perfectly as a, a collector who lets things get out of control. Because I feel like, you know, on your website, you have a wants list and this might be the most updated page on your website, and it's a list of all the stuff that you want as a collector, <laughs> you know, which includes, you know, comic. I think it, maybe there's comics in there, but it's mostly cards. Uh, there's pogs on there. Uh, there's just all kinds of stuff. And that's just the paper. That's just the paper. It's not getting into the, the chick track. It's not getting <laughs> right, into right. The, yeah. the coins. It's not getting into the barbed wire. Yeah. You know, uh, there's all sorts of different things. But, well, you collect barbed you wire? Know, Oh, yeah. The people who collect barbed wire are called barbarians. <laughs> you have to be a barbarian and collect barbed wire just to have that name. Oh, that's uh, fantastic. But, you know, I'm not deep into it like other people, but I just like to have like because there's so many different dramatically different types of barbed wire. There's ones that have just like the conventional ones and then the ones that have spurs and then the ones that have like embedded razor blades. Oh, and yeah. It, they get really, really creative. Yeah. So it's hundreds and hundreds of different designs. Well, let me tell you this. Let me see how well you know barbed wire uh i went to school in dekalb illinois does that do anything for you oh uh well uh, you i'm sure that there's a major producer there and i'm not that familiar <laughs> with that particular history it's where it was but invented kurt that was where it was invented oh, okay. that's where jacob hayes and yeah everyone that's where barbed wire was invented in dekalb illinois and i did a whole episode uh, when i was in school i worked on a documentary for barbed wire through a for, through niu my my alma mater and then i've done a, a fascinating out episode on the history of barbed wire well, that I want to check out. And, but let me tell you the history I know about barbed wire. All right. Uh, my, go back in my family far enough, and my uh, great-great-grandfather was a Civil War uh, uh, orphan. His parents uh, died in the Civil War, and uh, his father died in a POW camp, and his mother died when she went to uh, uh, nurse the people at that, wow. that same camp. And uh, so he became a doctor as a result of that. And um, he ended up uh, uh, moving to Beaver City, Nebraska, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, and opening his, his business there. And, and in order to uh, be notified when he was needed in the surrounding uh, communities, they connected all the barbed wire fences together with the, the bottlenecks of beer bottles wow. at the top strand. Yeah. And they turned those into telegraphs. Oh, really? And so they would telegraph him from the nearest uh, uh, city, and it would, uh, or the cities that were outside of the city, Beaver City, mm -hmm. and uh, the surrounding cities, Arapahoe and places like that, mm -hmm. Oxnard and whatnot. They could telegraph and say, "Hey, we have someone giving birth. Can you get here?" And he'd jump in his carriage, and they'd head out. You know, and a couple hours later, wow. <laughs> he'd be there. And and if you go to that area, you can still find fences that have these broken beer bottlenecks on the top of them huh. and strands of barbed wire running across them that were the old telegraphs used to, wow. to conjure up the old doctor. That <laughs> wow, that is really amazing. That's a great yeah. story. I mean, I would love, I, I my grandmother lives in uh, in Florida. I got to make my way to Tallahassee and check out some of these collections of, that you have. Because, oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, you, yeah come on by. We got to have the, the Kirsteiner Museum with different wings for all the stuff <laughs> that you're into. Uh, but before we get too far along, uh, we got to talk about old time radio. We We've hinted at it a few times and we got to get into this. So, you know, you really this is right up my alley, you know, and I did a deep dive. You sent me a bunch of great radio shows. I even went back and listened to the War of the Worlds um, just to get um, kind of calibrate myself on what's considered like the best of, of of the big the big shows. And, you know, suspense. I found myself hooked on suspense. And the thing that I think you really capture and I really came to understand was that these old time radio shows, this is, you know, when before television. So, you know, the, from the beginning of radio um, to now or not to 
now to, to the beginning of television, these shows were extraordinarily inventive. They really work a whole different muscle in your mind. I mean, really creating all of the images in your head is so much better and so more engaging than being shown everything all the time. And, you know, from one fellow film student to another, this is almost, you know, a contradiction to our very existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, in film, it's all about you, the director mm -hmm. and the actors. Yeah. It's your vision and it's your presentation. The audience is just uh, there to observe. With radio and book readers, mm -hmm. They're participants. Yeah. They're the ones that are conjuring up the images. You're you're laying out the table and making you're suggesting it. But if I tell you, you know, choose the most beautiful woman in the world, you're going to visualize the most beautiful woman in the world. If I show you the most beautiful woman in the world, you might go, eh, right. She's not like, for me. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, Angela Jolie's lips are too big yeah, right. you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There might be something you'll nitpick it. Yeah. But if you have to conjure it up, and of course, when it deals with science fiction and horror, this becomes especially effective mm -hmm. because the, the special effects are almost just beyond anything that can be done, even with computers. Yep. Uh, so it's it, it really, really works. And and when you think about people talking about movies and comparing them to books, you almost always hear them say, well, the book was better. Mm -hmm. That's because they're the ones who were custom fitting right. that story to fit their needs. Yeah. If, on the other hand, you compare books to radio – I think radio drama is better because it has all the advantages of books. Plus, you can do you can do sound effects mm -hmm. and you can have the actor's voice intonation, so you have the acting going on. But I think the best part is they have music. Mm -hmm. You don't have music for books, and music is such a subliminal effect. And you know this from film. I mean, gosh, yeah. how many how many films have been rescued by a dramatic soundtrack? Mm -hmm. I mean, and there have been many, many movie, movies in which the soundtrack was even more successful than the, the movie. Mm -hmm. The soundtrack to Citizen Kane, for example. Wow, mm -hmm. Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. The soundtrack to uh, North by Northwest, uh, the music of Bernard Herrmann and some of these, and John Williams, all the many films that he soundtracked. And of course, let's not forget the Oingo Boingo, uh, <laughs> the, the soundtrack that uh, Danny Elfman has been doing with Batman sure. and all the uh, variations. He's a Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. So you get all that with radio, and there's really no other art form that that has that crossover of all the advantages of books yeah. and the advantages of film combined. You get the acting, you get the music, and you get the intimacy of the the imagination of the the listener being activated that you, you don't get with film. There's only one exception. Okay. And that only that one exception is directors like David Lynch who will occasionally turn out the lights. And it'll make it so dark where you actually have to envision what's going on. He hasn't done that a whole lot lately. But yeah. back in the days of Eraserhead, there was a lot of very dark scenes in there that were absolutely horrifying because you're you're envisioning what's going on in there. Right. <laughs> no, but but that's the same thing, right? Like you're turning off the lights. I mean, that's that's what's great. And you're activating the mind to fill in the images because we are visual creatures. While it is our worst sense, we seem to rely on it for, you know, what we believe and what we take in and how we immerse ourselves in the world. Uh, you know, one quick thing before we get too far along in your in your book, this this is great. A uh, great quote at the beginning that you have where, where you talk about how you're not a researcher. Uh, you, you find the process tedious and you didn't want to do a lot of like the mystery part of old time radio, the history of old time radio, because you like your mysteries wrapped up in 30 minutes. So you admit you're an enthusiast. Um, that, I don't think that doesn't mean that you didn't put the work in, but I don't think you went to try to find, you know, there's lots, as you mentioned, there's lots of these shows that have, you know. There's two episodes out of 300 because they've all been lost. Uh, and some mm -hmm. of them were done live. I mean, some of them was like, that was it. You got, you didn't, there wasn't tape, you know, until uh, the 40s, I believe. Uh, but I love that. Yeah. I love that you just kind of admit to being, I'm an enthusiast. So, you know, here's the, uh, here's what an a book written by an enthusiast looks like. Yeah, you're not going to find me pondering through <laughs> old logs to find out, you know, how many different episodes certain actors did. Sure. Uh, however, I'll read the books that the other people who did do that. Yeah have done. And all those books, for the most part, are out of print. So I'll combine all that relevant information that I can and put it in my... A lot of these books, and you know, you've seen the different books that I've done. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're like topics that seem totally unrelated to one another. Yeah. But they're ones that I find interesting, and they're a way of archiving and uh, putting together in a record the stuff that I don't want to forget. Because <laughs> you know, you'll, yeah. you'll hear this stuff, yeah. and you'll go, wait a minute, where, 
where was it? Did someone tell me that? Or is that factual? Or right. where's the source? <laughs> well, all these yeah. books are, they all are cited that, that they have citations for everything that's relevant. And you'll find it in the back so that you can go and find that source. If you say, is this really true? Or I'd like to know more about yeah. it. Well, the book, the author and the date it was published is right there in the back. Yeah, it's all it's all super handy. You know, I, I love that. And, you know, what's kind of interesting about where audio is now, right? We are in... I don't think, you know, I, I'm kind of close to all this stuff, so I'm paying attention to every, all the changes. But this is not, you know, you don't have to be an insider or be around the entertainment business to see what's happening. You know, streaming is completely uh, taking over television, you know, um, movies, you know, COVID kind of decimated theater going. And for, you know, for a lot of people, everything's moved to, to streaming services. And this includes podcast. What we're doing right yes. now is really just Radio 2.0, you know. Terrestrial radio mm -hmm. is dying uh, and podcasts are everywhere. I mean, they're springing up all over the place. They're like they're like weeds. And one of the things that, you know, I, I'm I have to admit, Kurt, the one of the things I'm not I, I'm not as um, up to speed on are story narrative podcasts where they do they do exactly what you're talking about. It's old time radio, except Modern times, right? I mean, this is, mm -hmm. and people are using it to sell TVs and movies to Hollywood to make a movie or a television show. That's, they're really not doing it for the podcasting element, but some people are, and some of these are really good. I don't know if you've heard them, Kurt, but this is like oh, old-time radio 2.0. Yeah, if you do the uh, uh, the techniques that they had in the 1940s and 50s, which was the golden age right. of, of radio production, radio drama production, and you use the technology that we have today and you do what is called a fully immersive radio drama yes. where it's all the sound effects and music. You can just do incredible things. I credit that with how I got into film school. It was doing cheap radio dramas because it's so inexpensive. It doesn't take – it takes time yeah. and it takes effort and energy and talent hopefully. Uh, but it doesn't take money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I've never spent more than $100 uh, on a radio production, probably not even that much. Uh, you you know maybe I should have bought more in the way of sound libraries and stuff. A lot of that stuff's available <laughs> yeah, for free. Yeah, right. So you just get out there and do it. And anybody who's got a creative spirit, everybody wants to make a movie. Think differently. Think outside the box. Like I said, that got me into film school. Yeah. Everybody else was submitting their films. I was submitting my radio drama. Interesting. And they thought you know sound is the part that a lot of people overlook in in uh, film, and it's a very important part because you don't see it. Yeah, it's a subliminal effect, but it is very, very important. And if you can encapsulate that in a radio drama, those same types of techniques and that same sort of attention to detail, you're going to be light years ahead of the competition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when my first couple of years when I was studying uh, media, we learned how to do radio dramas. And I remember the teacher saying like, well, these haven't been done in, in years. And then, you know, it's more like we're learning how to do this because you have to learn at some point how everything was done in the history, you know, predicts the future. I mean, I even edited with on magnetic tape. I mean, I cut yeah. I cut tape and taped it together. This We had digital at the time, but it was just to learn how were things done, you know. Um, and I think that's extraordinarily important. And these radio dramas, they really set the stage. You know, I got super into suspense. We'll talk about it. I want to talk about a couple of the other specifics. But suspense was a really good show that at the time was pulling in actors who, and this is a really cool thing that happens in television now, where you have these film actors who are known for one thing. Brian Cranston is a perfect example where he was known as a, as a comedic actor and in television, he was allowed to take a chance and become a dramatic actor. And then we got Walter White and, you know, and now uh, Your Honor is another kind of Walter Whitey type, you know, dra dramatic role that he's playing. But at the time, you know, I think uh, Lucille Ball played um, uh, she wasn't a serial killer, but I think she was, you know, something crazy like that. I mean, she's a comedic actress. So this gave people mm -hmm. an opportunity to try new things on radio without being typecast or, you know, if it didn't work, it didn't work. And, you know, when you sign on to a movie, that's like a six-month commitment yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. A radio drama you can knock out in a week. Sure, right. You know, and, and you're, you don't even have to memorize the lines. Right. You know, you're, you're reading them. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you're not putting as much – investing as much time understanding the character or where they're coming from. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm astounded when I hear something. I'll, I'll hear somebody like James Mason or Gregory Peck mm -hmm. doing a radio drama and thinking, well, this is every bit as good as, you know, uh, uh, the one uh, – the 
to kill a mockingbird yeah. or whatever else. He obviously invested a, a, a ton of time in, in doing this. Yeah. And they, they were where – see, suspense, that was one of the few radio dramas that continued on even during TV. Right. Uh, it's a beautifully yeah. named series, of course, because that was the, the theme. Every they, There was always something very suspenseful about it. Tales calculated to keep you in – Suspense. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, that was the, yes, that was the, exactly. that was the, yeah. Like the old joke, you know, how do you keep an idiot in suspense? I'll tell you next week. But uh, <laughs> yeah. they had a lot of fun with that series. Yeah. And it lasted yeah, yeah. for, it was one of the longest lasting ones that there were, that, that was on radio. And um, uh, it was only half an hour, but uh, they packed a lot into it. It was like a TV show. I mean, it was structured like a TV show. Now, they had ad breaks, so not everyone had, you know, commercials in the middle. Um, but, you know, it was very much like a television show. And this is the str- – I mean, all this stuff comes from vaudeville where you have, you know, basically seven-minute, you know um, – performance i mean roughly right and so you're creating Mm -hmm. what is really the human attention span for entertainment and suspense kind of did that i think there were more like 10 minutes or so but i think there were two ad breaks Uh, but anyway it was it was to me it's the template for what the best of the best look like and and i think you agree with that um but you know the high production value you know um lucille ball did play a killer uh ronald reagan played a man on the run jack benny you know one of the famous comedians uh, of the radio era. Rochester. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have some of those old, my, um, when I was a kid, my, uh, my grandmother got me, uh, audio tapes and they, they were selling all these, you know, like famous comedic acts. And so I had like, you know, Burns and Allen and Jack Benny. Yeah. Ro- I mean, I love Jack Benny and he played at Martian, I think in one of the suspense episodes and Orson Welles uh, uh, was, um, you know, one of the great radio voices of all time. Orson Welles. I love him. It was just a it was just a great show. You know, I don't want to talk about it too much, but it was just fantastic and inspired. You know, Alfred Hitchcock presents a lot of the stories were based on the suspense stories. Um, And absolutely. Yep. To take him from whole cloth. If you like the suspense, you probably also love Escape. Yeah. Escape was the same type of program, but they didn't have the ads. Yes. So it was just more 30 minutes of just impi- one of the best radio dramas of all time. I think it's one called um, Three Skeleton Key. Yeah. And it uses every minute of that 30 minutes. And it's a story about a rat-infested ship crashing aboard a little key with a lighthouse. And the lighthouse keepers are trapped in there as the rats are outside trying to get in. And it's just amazing how they they milk that suspense (laughs) and uh, fear factor to the nth degree. It's a wonderful story. That's a good one. You had me listen to that one. That I mean, that's a fantastic story. And, you know, the, yeah, there weren't any real – I think in there you say that there wasn't any real commercial backing. And the power of these types of stories, just how good it was, you mentioned that it – you know, in the course of seven years, it changed time slots 18 times. Now, in the era of streaming, if you're young and listening to this, time slot doesn't matter. You can watch whenever. Right. It, lucky you. You know, most people grew up in an era where you had to be at a, a, a specific location in front of a specific device in order to watch the thing you wanted to watch, which includes radio shows. And so time slots were important. So being able to maintain success with 18 time slot changes, that's a real yeah. you know, credit to the power of the creativity of that show. Yeah, dedicated audience uh, mm-hmm. beyond measure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and you know, Vincent Price was on Escape a lot. He was a regular, uh, another one of my favorites. Uh, so there's, you know, th- there were a couple other ones. One of the things I wanted to uh, talk about, I want to find it here, because you know, you mentioned the, the horror hosts, and a lot of um, what's interesting about these old time radio shows is the host, in a lot of ways, dictated the style. Of the show. So, you know, Mysterious Traveler is a great radio show, which is the the, the premise is you're on a train and there's just a guy telling stories and they're all kind of crazy stories. And he's telling you a story basically from stop to stop, I think. But that kind of gives you it's 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 loosely themed. But it gives you that great, you know, tie in from episode to episode that you're talking about. I I thought this one was a great template for that. That that. That host's name, his real life name was Maurice Tarpin. Yes, yeah. And uh, one of the funny things that he would do, and a lot of these hosts had these running gags, and people would just, you know, eat it up for this reason. Mm-hmm. But the mysterious child would tell his whole story, and then he'd say, well, if you like that story, I have another one I think you'll like even more. Yes. It's about a woman who finds that there's a man <laughs> living next door to her who has a very peculiar habit of 
Oh, you have to get off here. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. but we'll be back. You know? That's great. <laughs> the little teasing that he would do would just be a, a wonderful. But, you know, people, they were the one element of continuity yeah. that was otherwise an anthology series. And, of course, anthology series fell out of favor in television pretty quickly. Uh, initially, when television came on, there were a ton of anthology series because television was copying old time radio. Right. And they were using the same writers and they were using the same formulas and everything. But they quickly learned that it's very expensive to do anthology series because you have to strike the set every week. Yeah. It's a different set every yeah. single week, yeah. oftentimes different costumes, all different casts. It's just very pricey. So they went over to the regular, you know, series with the same people each week. Yeah. And um, that changed. Change. But there were some holdovers like uh, Twilight Zone mm -hmm. and Outer Limits and series like that that were plot driven that, uh, you know, basically required them to go to a whole different uh, scenario. But again, they also found out that doing television, trying to imitate old time radio is very expensive because – with radio, you'd be jumping around in time. You can yeah. go back in time, you <laughs> yeah, go forward yeah, yeah, in time. Yeah. You can, you know, Anything you want. Doing that with yeah, – that's hard to do with uh, with Hollywood where you have to build those sets. They can get very expensive quickly. Well, two things that are funny is that you know when you're talking about going back in time, when you do that now with a movie and you have an actor who's the same age, obviously shooting both in the past and in the future, you do one of two things. You either change the length of their hair or you give them a beard, right? Because hair shows a change in time. So you either cut hair mm -hmm. off or you let it grow really long. And that's supposed to be the, the difference, which is funny. And what, well, I mean, Twilight Zone is a, an old-time radio show. I mean, it's it's yeah. a, a host bringing in stories that are encapsulated into one 30-minute episode. I mean, it, to me, that is the, the perfect example of radio that, you know, TV that is just radio. Yeah, if you like Twilight Zone, you're going to enjoy a lot of these old-time radio shows. I do, yeah. And there was also another series called One Step Beyond with John Newland. Okay. And that actually, I think, beat Twilight Zone on the on TV or it started at the same time. And Twilight Zone copied a lot of stuff from um, One Step Beyond because the host, that was where the host actually put himself in the story. Before that – uh, Rod Serling wasn't on screen, oh. but he saw how John Newland would open it up. And, you know, it was pretty creepy because you'd see some sort of scene play out yeah. and then the camera would pan over and there's John Newland. He's on the set yeah. saying, you know, what you just saw happened in 1935, but it's what happened in 1936 that people always remember. Yeah. As you're about to find out, you know, then you have a commercial and go, what the heck? Yeah. And uh, that's what uh, Rod Serling started doing, too, to great effect. And that's what we remember most of Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. Well, because when you think about it, when you look at Rod Serling's character, he doesn't have a name. Right. He just appears all over, no matter what it is. Some of these shows take place in a different dimension or on an alien ship. Or, I mean, he's this kind of this omnipresent character that exists out of time, but yet he's always present, right? As you mentioned, the camera pans over to him. He's there, wherever the action's happening, he's there watching, observing, you know? And we see- Yeah, you don't know if he's, is he like a devil or is yeah. he like an angel or is he, you, you really have to wonder- have no idea. What is, he has some sort of supernatural power, obviously, the way that he's jumping around. Yeah. Is it for good or for evil? He seems kind of moralistic, but at the same time, he never intervenes to help him out. Out, you know, so it's almost well, there's a lot of like characters now, uh, like the Watcher in Marvel um, and a lot of, you know, uh, and a lot of alien theories and things like that. You know, you have this this these types of people who are just there to observe. And in a lot of ways, he's describing the events, not like a scientist. He's telling it like a narrator. But there is mm -hmm. this there's this this detachment from the events going on but yet very involved in how they play out. You know, I just find the Twilight Zone, I think, is probably one of the greatest television series to ever be created. And I think it's because they have all these weird nuances that are just they're just perfectly suited for me. I just I love that stuff. He clearly enjoyed doing what he was doing. And the fact that we know that he was responsible for a lot of the story selections mm -hmm. and in some cases actually writing it. Yeah. That just adds so much more to power to his performance for me yeah. at any rate. Yeah, he wrote a lot. I mean, he wrote a lot of the episodes. And what's so interesting about that, and I don't want to go too far down a Twilight Zone path here, but what's interesting is that, you know, he never really considered the horror or the sci-fi really the part of it. He was using that to tell political things. Like he was really mm -hmm. trying to comment on the political um, environment of the day. He wasn't really trying to create a sci-fi and thriller series, which is like, it's just so weird. You know what I mean? 
Well, you don't you don't see this too much in television now at all, or or films at mm -hmm. all, which you would call an auteur mm -hmm. yeah, type yeah. approach. The person that is, you know, they're they're picking the stories and they're in control of it. That doesn't exist anymore. It's all corporations. It's all writing staffs. It's all done by committee. Yeah. But you go back in the days of old radio and maybe early TV and some exceptions like Twilight Zone, mm -hmm. and you did see that. Or, I mean, everything had to get by Rod Serling. Yeah. But back in the days of old radio, you had people like Willis Cooper, who did Quiet, Please. He wrote every single one of those scripts. Wow. You had Arch Obler, who did Lights Out. Willis Cooper actually started Lights Out, but he, he left and started uh, did Quiet, Please. But Arch Obler, he wrote all of those stories. So this was all 100% him. He wasn't acting in any of them. Sometimes he would announce them and stuff like that, but it was a real auteur and you had people who, you know, you could call were basically storytelling geniuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It was fascinating to watch them and it was amazing to think that they were able to produce that much material. But I think the fact that they, they knew they had an audience that was expecting that of them, they just rose to the occasion. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you do actually find in television, or at least you did, some people, like you could say David E. Kelly is kind of an auteur because all of his, he writes most of his scripts and he, you know, he's kind of a one-man show. Uh, there's other people who oversee everything. There's a name that I, I'm, I'm blanking on right now. Uh, but they're, they're, they're out there, but they're much less in that complete sure. control that what you're talking about. And plus, as you mentioned, it's cheaper to do radio. If you've got a flop radio show, mm -hmm. you don't lose any money or an episode. doesn't matter uh, as yeah, much. You'll anyway. go bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not going to bankrupt the company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so one of the other episodes I want to talk about is Black Castle. And this is, you know, what I love about this show is it's, it's everything we're talking about. It's got a narrator who is the wizard. And, you know, this, I think, in my opinion, really influenced tales from the crypt because you have this this character who's got this maniacal laughter a lot of puns describing everything and then the beginning of the radio show is a, a narrator t talking you through walking up into the castle walking down into the room and all the, you're walking he's visually walking you through the castle to the black wizard or what the, to the wizard and this is exactly in the tales from the crypt tv show what happens it starts out at the, these gates with a storm coming and you slowly go into this mansion as you go down into the crypt where the crypt keeper is i mean this felt like you know i don't want to say gimmick infringement but it's pretty close you know i don't want to say copyright infringement but there if you were litigious you could get involved here i think and then he does all the voices yes. of all the different characters, and he, he acts it all out. And to think that these people are switching back and forth from these voices yeah. in real time yes. is just amazing. And uh, most of those shows were live, so there was no editing involved. Mm -hmm. If you mess up, you mess up. Yes. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of those uh, shows still in existence. A competitor to that was one called The Black Chapel. Okay. You, you were talking about The Black Castle. Yes. The Black Chapel was – uh, uh, an equally, in fact, I think is even a better hmm. uh, uh, series because that fellow was, he was a little more subtle hmm. and they <laughs> definitely had a grim sense of humor. Yeah. And sadly, they did a hundred episodes of that series. And both of these series, by the way, were only 15 minutes long. Yes. They were live and performed by one person doing all the voices. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could almost envision them playing the music. But the Black <laughs> Chapel, I mean, that's, that's kind of sacrilege. What, you're in a, like an evil, an evil church, you know? And and he would be subtle, but of the 100 episodes, only two episodes survived. Wow. And uh, what a loss. But, uh, boy, those are dynamite episodes, especially that one about the crawling terror. Yeah, you sent me that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, but, you know, that one and the Black Castle, I think there's only two episodes that remain out of, yep. out of hundreds. And that, that's right. You know, but there's something, you know, as an archivist or as, you know, a fan or someone who enjoys this, it's a tragic loss. Right. But if you want to just take a step back and be poetic about it, there is something kind of beautiful about the about the ephemeral nature of these episodes where they existed once and then they're poof gone into the ether. Right. And you had to be there. It's an experience that a set number of people were involved in that can't be scrutinized, that can't be, you know, uh, that can't be changed or whatever. You had that experience and it's gone, you know? I mean, it's kind of like a pencil. You have a certain number of, of letters you can write with a pencil before the pencil's gone. You know, there's something kind of cool about that and poetic. Yeah, it's almost like a woman's beauty, you know, knowing or a flower, it's not going to last forever. It makes it a little more special. Yeah, uh, It's tragic and, you know, there is something... Uh, fun about tragic tragedy you know it's just that that longing that gives us in our hearts to know that 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 time is gone mm -hmm. 
or that our time is limited, that we're not immortal, that our lives are limited. I know that works on me when I think about my kids and stuff. Yeah. It's like, you know, gosh, I'm so glad that they're here, but I'm sad I won't be able to watch their entire lives and everything. Yeah. But thank God, you know, it just makes the time that you have with them now all the more special. Yeah, it's very true, you know, um, and that's extraordinarily tragic, uh, a way to, to end this episode. But I think in some ways it's appropriate because this we're talking about a t an era gone by and a lot of this stuff is gone. A lot of, it, you know, we do have a lot of this, you know, you've got websites dedicated to it. There's other you know, people who have archived it as well. So it's out there. I recommend it. There's actually a podcast. Uh, there's a, a podcast company called Relic Radio. And someone mm -hmm. about, I would say, eight months ago turned me on to two, two of their podcasts. One's about sci-fi and one's about, it's called The Horror. And I didn't realize that that's what it was, was that it was doing old time radio shows. One of my friends just recommended it. And I never got around to it. But so this stuff's out there. It's readily available. And even in this podcast driven world, I would say that we're, I think we're in a new resurgence uh, of this type of, uh, of this type, these types of stories, this medium. And I'm excited about it, Kurt. And I imagine you are too. Well, um, I would encourage people to check out the website that we have that describes all these different series because it will encapsulate what's really cool about each different series. And it'll tell you whether – do you think you'd like that one or not? Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll explain what it is that's attractive about those. That's called Radio Horror Hosts, plural, RadioHorrorHosts.com. And it has much of what I have in that book online for free. And it also has a lot of links. Now, not all those links are current. I have to go back and update a lot of them. But they, they will send you to where you can hear these episodes for free. And it's, it's all about just getting people to hear them and appreciate them. And let me just say on the tragedy note that uh, a little bit of a light uh, uh, reflection on okay. it. The Indians themselves were always very poetic about death. And they said, you're not really dead as long as people remember you. Mm -hmm. So as long as we remember and, and hear some of these old radio shows, they may be gone, but they're not forgotten yeah. and they still live on. And, you know, I never heard these old radio shows as a kid because I was not born at that time, <laughs> right. but I got interested in it from that uh, 1970s re uh, recreation of the series. And then I went back and I found those episodes. So I feel like I've, I've, lived through that era, even though I haven't. And that's available to any of your listeners right now. Most of these things are still on, can be heard on podcasts or certainly online. And you can go on eBay and buy CDs that have 30 or 40 episodes for like four bucks. Mm -hmm. I have a whole bunch of those. You just get a whole series of Mysterious Traveler yeah. or, or Quiet Please or Escape. They can even have as many as 90 on one CD. Wow. And then they could be MP3s. You yeah. know, you you listen to them on your Walkman or whatever while you're walking. Remember the Walkmans? Yeah. You can still get yeah. those on eBay too for 20, 30 bucks. 100%. So it's still out there. And it's a, it's a wonderful, if you like to exercise or especially if you don't like to exercise, it's a wonderful way to do it. Go take a walk at night and listen to a radio drama or take a walk during the day. But remember that reflecting vest <laughs> so you don't get run over because you are probably going to get so engrossed in that story. You're not going to be able to pay very much attention to what's going on around you. I, I think that's, that's absolutely true. And you know, one of the things that, so the name of your book, I have it here. It's called the old time radio horror host handbook. Uh, so people need to, to get to get a hold of that. And, you know, what's interesting is on your um, uh, the book, sorry. Uh, and, and, you know, on that uh, on that note of being outdated, I think there were a couple of real media files on your on your, on your website, yeah. which is interesting because there's this strange incompatibility. Right. So you you have this 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 unique situation where these these things existed on the air in radio, they're trans transferred to magnetic tape. Those magnetic tapes were, were then digitized. The magnetic tape really, I don't even think could be played except in an archaic form. But now you've got digital files that are incompatible with our current technology. So even keeping mm -hmm. this stuff alive through the technology is very difficult. You know, uh, I think that that's that sometimes I think that's deliberate. Yeah. They're always like trying to change. You know, if you've got records, well, now what you need is an eight track tape. You know, oh, well, now you need to buy the same Beatles albums, not as an eight track tape, but as a, as a cassette tape. Oh, now you need to get rid of your cassette tape. Tapes, you need to buy a CD. Well, now you need to get rid of the CD and buy something else. You know, they're always reselling you the same stuff, repackaged in a different 
way of listening to it every 10 or 15 years. Yeah, no, it, it's very true. And I'm, I'm actually going to inherit an old time record player. So I'm actually looking to get a hold uh, of these on records, which I think would be would be a lot of fun. Uh, well, this is great. So how can people get in touch? You mentioned, you know, um, the uh, the horror radio host, but you have a, you might have you might be a collector of websites as well. I don't know. I don't think I know anyone <laughs> who maintains more websites than you. But Monster Wax, Tara Tallahassee, you know, our Jack Chick episodes, you know, there's a lot of ways people can get in touch with you. How do they do it? Well, usually it's by whatever the topic is. If you like old, uh, if you like the haunted houses things, we're at terratallahassee.com. But you just type in haunted house Tallahassee, we'll come right up. If you like chick tracks, you just say chick track museum, we'll come right up. If you like uh, old time radio shows, you could say old time radio, well, radio horror hosts. And we should come up because there's not – I don't know any other website that's devoted to the host of horror. And, um, uh, you know, it's – it's. Uh, I always find that if you give it away for free and you make it interesting, people will come. And I've always been surprised at the reaction that we get on these uh, websites. It's just a tremendous amount of people uh, visiting. And hopefully, you know, they're walking away with something that they'll always remember. Absolutely. They said they can't they can't complain about the price, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. What about Monster Wax? Oh, monsterwax.com. That's been on online since 1992, believe it or not. Wow. And uh, we actually have a trading card series for old-time radio shows okay. called Tune In for Terror. And I think it's like 11 bucks and it has uh, you know one card for each of the uh, our favorite old-time radio series. And that's what started Monster Wax is that first series. I didn't know that. So it's funny how these things kind of, you know, they they lead into another and then another and it's like this river that's constantly going to all these different tributaries. Yeah. So it's uh it's been a lot of well, fun. Well, you know, you seem like a guy who's got a lot of eclectic taste, but I think when you start putting that mosaic, that collage together, uh, I think all of them are actually much more related than you think. I know I feel that way about mm -hmm. my interests as well. So that's how you get in touch with you. Uh, and of course, if you want to get in touch with this show and, and find some of those links, we're going to have them up on our website, fascinatingnouns.com. And you can find us on social media. We are on X, formerly Twitter, at Fascinating Noun, and on Facebook, at Fascinating Nouns. And of course, if you want to find me, DanielJGlenn.com is the place to do that. Uh, well, this, you know, this has been so much fun, Kurt. Uh, I love having you back on uh, for our Halloween episode. You know, uh, I broke rules for you and, and you know, it was absolutely <laughs> worth it because there's no one who screams Halloween more than you. So uh, thank you. And, and thanks for doing all the stuff that you do. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, Halloween is my favorite holiday, but uh, uh, it's always a lot more fun with other people. So thanks for bringing your audience along with us. Of course. Of course. Uh, I want to thank you for being on the show. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glenn Co. production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, and we even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. And speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our shows, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.